welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, headmaster of Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Noah Tetzner, a curious student of classical education and podcast producer. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on the Quarter Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Accord of Three Strands. Last week, we talked about the transcendentals, truth, goodness, and beauty. It would seem the logical thing would be to transition to the intellectual virtues. But Mr. Young, you want to talk today about the theological virtues instead. Yes, it seems logical to go that way. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we get to do whatever we want here. It's and your podcast. It is my podcast. <laughs> So the, the reason why I want to talk about the theological virtues up front is just because as we're talking about um, building a Christian civilization, right? Christian culture. And I know that our listeners are primarily Christians. Um, I, I want to, I want to talk about the, the theological virtues because these are important for how we think of um, why we're pursuing virtues in the first place. Um, it's not that we're we're going to become the best pagan we can be. <laughs> it's that the, uh, by pursuing virtue, we're going to be a good person. And that is uh, the way God intended us. After the fall, that's just completely impossible. The Holy Spirit is what helps us become conformed to the image of his son. That is more and more like him. And it is the, when we talk about virtues, the, these theological virtues are the things that inform and give life to all our virtues, the intellectual and moral virtues. And so I thought we should start with that rather than tacking them on the, uh, in on the end. Yeah. Because I think mostly when you look at virtues, Aquinas or, or something, they'll talk about the, the intellectual virtues, then they'll talk about the moral virtues, and then they'll finally talk about the theological virtues. And just for our sake, I thought, let's just jump in with theological yeah, and then, and then move from there. Well, so, you know, what do we mean by the theological virtues? Yeah, that, that's fine. So the theological virtues are faith, hope, and love. You know, you get that from first Corinthians 13. I think in our introduction, we, we had talked about that. And, and so these three things, as I had said uh, just previously, they inform and give life to all our virtues, particularly the moral virtues. So by the Holy Spirit, they're imparted to us, right? Uh, making us capable of acting like God's children. Apart from him, we can't, can do nothing, right? Jesus said, apart from him, we can do nothing. Yeah. As, as fallen creatures, we are totally depraved. Remember, I'm a Calvinist here, a proud Calvinist. Oh, yes. We're totally depraved. And by, by that, I mean that the fall has messed us up completely, uh, both in our mind as well as our will. 
And so the intellectual virtues, that is the, the, the faculties of our mind, are uh, askew. And our will, that, that we'll talk about the moral virtues later, have to do with the will, are also messed up. So it's not just that, you know, we're smart enough to, to know everything and, um, you know, it's just that we're, our will's messed up or, or vice versa. Our will's just perfectly fine. It's just that our mind's messed up. It's everything's we're totally depraved. Every, everything is, we're not good at all. Remember the philosophical idea of good? It fulfills its purpose. Yes. So when we're fallen, when we are depraved, we can't fulfill our purpose. We can't fulfill our purpose. You know what we need to fulfill our purpose? We need God's grace, right? Right. So what, what Christ does is he calls us to himself. And in that effect, that effectual call that, that uh, makes us go from being dead to alive in him. Um, we have now been imparted with faith, a hope and love. And, and these intellectual virtues then help form us our, our mind and our will so that we can love God more and more. And as that's the perfection that we're aiming towards, we are able to become more and more like him. So the intellectual virtues, or I'm sorry, the, uh, the theological virtues have to do with that. So, um, so faith, um, it, it, the, the theological virtues are what direct us to believe in God and what he has revealed to us concerning him and us in his word, that is faith. Um, it, the theological virtues also uh, direct us to live according to his promises, that is hope. And, um, and those theological virtues also direct us to love God above all and to love our neighbor as ourself uh, for God's own sake, right? Yeah. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in us to do these things, um, we, can't, we can't do that, right? So without faith, without hope, without love, we, we can't please God. We can't become like him. We, we wouldn't even know what, what to do. So the theological virtues are a part of sanctification. That's a good way to say it. Right? Good, good question. All right. So, so again, as a good Presbyterian would do, we'd go to Westminster Shorter Catechism. So, you know, question 35 says this, it asks, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. Okay. So this is what the, the this sanctification process is very akin to that idea that these, these virtues are imparted to us and are working towards this, the working towards this renewal of uh, the whole man after the image of God. And so that we're able to one, recognize our sin, yeah. <laughs> uh, confess it, uh, repent of it um, and die unto it. And then continue to live uh, unto righteousness. Uh, like I said, apart from God that we can't do that. Um, and so so when, when we go on and start talking about pursuing truth and virtue, and usually when we talk about virtues, we're talking about uh, the intellectual and the moral virtues, particularly the moral virtues, I want to remind our audience that what we're, we're not trying to say, um, we're just trying to, uh, I don't know, 
get salvation through works or something like that. What, what I'm saying is, is that this is a way in which we live out faith, hope, and love is by pursuing these virtues, um, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. Right. Right. So, so let me just talk about that briefly because as, as a Protestant, um, and I, you, you guys already know I'm Calvinist, uh, Presbyterian. I'm one of those guys, right. <laughs> uh, you know, there, we, we can look at, um, a, a lot of the virtue ethics teachings mainly coming through Aristotle, then down through Aquinas. Right. And, right. and there's a, a long history within, uh, the West of virtue ethics, which originally was Catholic. There was one holy, yeah. <laughs> you know, apostolic Catholic church. Right. Yeah. And so we can claim Aquinas is one of ours too, right? But but you know we we see there's some differences in our our understanding of what Scripture is teaching than Aquinas, right? So the big one is this: what do, by what are we um, justified, right? So so the Protestants would go through Scripture and show that we are justified, that is made right with God by God, God's grace alone through faith alone. Because it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been Im- imputed to us, right? Imputed. Right. Right. So the theological virtues are imparted to us, but the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. So the ground of my justification, the ground of me being right with God, has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. He took on my sin, my sin was imputed to him. And his righteousness was imputed to me. So when God looks at me, he looks at his son and I am declared righteous. I am just, I'm not actually righteous. Yeah. It's Christ's righteousness that's been imputed to me. So what sanctification is for, for us is then it's, it's living up. It's living in our justification. It's growing up in it so that we become actually righteous. Right. And we would say that that is a progressive thing that is never accomplished until the Lord's return. Mm. Right. And then when we see him face to face, we become like him. Right. We're glorified. Right. Okay. Now, my understanding is when you look at Aquinas and you look at the, the, the Catholic doctrines, it's the it is this imparted um, virtue that um, helps you become good. And because you've become good, you're then justified. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and I, I don't, that doesn't seem uh, very biblical to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I, you know, there's a, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, so, so when, when you hear this Christian talk show or uh, a podcast and we're talking about virtues and theological virtues, um, it might make you nervous or it might make your pastor nervous. Wait, who are you talking about? I thought he was a reformed guy, you know, or, you know <laughs> they're talking about Aquinas. I don't, I don't get, uh, so I wanted to just make that clear as we're talking about it, the, the righteousness of Jesus is in Imputed to us, it is ours because he's given it to it. He's credited it to us, as you know, Romans would say, it's been credited to us. Yeah. Um, 
And, uh, and that's the ground of our justification. Our being right with God is because of that. But he's also given us his spirit by which we are being sanctified. And so his, his spirit has imparted to us, that is given to us, actually, these virtues, which by habit can grow. Yeah. Right. The, the, more, I, um, the more I read scripture, the more I participate in the means of grace that God has given to us through his church, you know, hearing the God's words preached, hearing God's word um, read, um, participating with sacraments, these kinds of things um, will, will build up um, this faith that's been imparted to me. Um, our understanding of who God is and what he is, it will, our desires will be, will grow for him. Um, we will believe. Yeah. Right. And, um, and then we'll also uh, believe in believing his promises though, it, then too, it'll, it'll give us hope. And that, and that hope informs us in all sorts of things. I'll, I can, you can persevere through pretty much anything if you have hope. Right. Right. And my, my hope and your hope is in Christ and that we have eternal life. So it, it's like the, the, you know, when uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we're going to get, get tossed in the, the furnace, the fire. And, uh, and they said, um, you know, our God is all powerful and he can save us. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bend our knee to, you know, the, to the, the, this false God. Right. They, they had a confident hope that they will be saved either, either in this life before they get tossed in the fiery furnace yeah. or in the afterlife. Yeah. And, and that's how they could remain faithful is because they had hope. It's the same with us. And if we don't have hope, why would we be Christians? Yeah. <laughs> why right. would we, why would we give up the pleasures of this world? Why wouldn't we just eat, drink and, you know, be merry for tomorrow we die. Yeah. But because we have hope, in the promises of God, we are willing to uh, sacrifice. We're willing to suffer. We're willing to, um, you know, die to ourselves. We're, you know, there's all sorts of things that we're willing to do because we believe that there's a reward for us later. Well, is there a difference between faith and hope? Because that they seem very similar, right? You, you have your faith, you're being, you know, certain of what you hope for. Right. But then, mm-hmm. Yeah. They're two different uh, elements. There's two different theological virtues. Yes. And, and it's kind of like what you, you said. So, so faith has this idea of, of, um, of believing in God and believing what is said about God in his word, you know, that he's revealed to us and, and believing, um, yeah, all, all, all that he said. So, yeah. but, but hope has to do with, the outcome of that faith. Right. Um, so it's, it's one thing to, uh, to believe in God. It's another thing to sacrifice oneself in, uh, in laboring for Christ. Yeah. Um, and the reason why we would do that is the hope we have in him. Right. So it's right. an aspect. You can't have hope without faith. Right. That makes sense. That makes, that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah. 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 So it orients, it orients our life. So here's a, here's a, a for instance, and I, I was just talking with the director of the Palatine Institute uh, earlier today, Allison Tuttle, um, who someday we'll have to have on our podcast, but yes, but uh, Allison and I were talking about 
um, you know, different books and, and things that have influenced me. And, and, and I made this weird comment. Now this is where we're going to get nasty letters from other people. But um, so th- there are certain books that I read and I'm, and I'm inspired by what they say. I I'm learning something new. I, I get, you know, I, just this exciting thing that like, Oh, I never thought of it that way. And it's inspiring. And you go, there are other books that I've read that have caused me to think about things in a different way. And I disagree with the author. And, but because I've, I've began to think about things in, in a different way, because I disagreed with the author, yeah. it, it has caused a lot of growth in me, a lot of excitement in me. Okay. So here's yeah, here an example, an example, an example. So an example is, is uh, your game Altman is, is one of my favorite theologians, not because I agree with him. He's kind of a neo-Marxist guy. Yeah. Um, but in, in reading him, especially, you know, his book, uh, Trinity and the Kingdom, and another one of his works called uh, The Theology of Hope. In reading these things, it has caused me to think differently about things um, and, and themes that are in Scripture. And I, and I disagree with, he, he kind of tries to, to, to do this Hegelian, you know, um, uh, thesis, antithesis, do synthesis with kind of a, a Hegelian view of the world and Marxism. Yeah. I, it's just kind of crazy. I don't, <clears throat> for the record, I'm, I don't believe that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but what he, but he does talk about hope in, in the theology of hope and, and, and speaks about how that orients the way we think and act and live. Mm. And, and if I'm, if, if I think, my hope simply is to die and go to heaven and that's it. Right. And I'm not really thinking about that. I'm just, all I'm doing is thinking about like, Oh, look, the world looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket or something like that. Um, in the end the world's going to happen any moment. I, I might curl up in a ball and just, <laughs> and just pray that Jesus would come soon and take me away. Right. Which I will say a lot of Christians are doing. Yeah. However, if, if I understand, if I'm looking at what Christ is teaching about that all authority has been given to him on heaven and earth and that, that he has told us as his church to go disciple the nations. And that when you look at the prophecies that God has given um, to us, such as um, the coming of the Messiah is like this stone that (laughs) rolls down the hill and knocks all the kingdoms of the world down and then grows into the giant mountain. Right. If I begin to explore what Jesus, what Isaiah talks about when he, when he's giving the vision of the kingdom and, and when I look at what Jesus is doing and enacting, and when I look at what revelation points out, the, the kingdom of God is like that hope for that kingdom is, is not wanting me to curl up in my bed and wait for the end of the world. Yeah. It, it inspires me to uh, live out um, what Christ has commanded and to think through how do we make, right? We, we, Jesus literally told us to pray that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Right? Curling up in my bed waiting for the end of the world is not his will. Yeah. Just, that's right. not what's happening in heaven, so we shouldn't be doing yeah. it here. Right? So there, there's, this, um, there's this orientation towards the kingdom that he is 
described in scriptures. Yeah. And that hope uh, is what is what makes me want to do what I want to do. And that is to help again, develop within families and churches and schools, et cetera, a Christian culture, a, a life that revolves around uh, Christ and his word. Yeah. That remember season one burning, like yet yeah, flourishing, flourishing yeah. right? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, so, <laughs> so that's, that, that's, then there's so much that we can do. We're in, in his image. We have dominion over things. We can make things, name things, separate things. We can, we can do a lot. Mm. And, and the lie that people are believing is that we can't. And the lie is, is that there's nothing to do, but just wait for, you know, the end of the world. Right. No, the, the hope that I have in Jesus Christ uh, orients me towards that kingdom. And I want to, I want to see it. Yeah. I want to live it out. I want to have a taste of it here and now, knowing that it's not going to be complete until he returns until he takes me home, you know, whatever. But in the meantime, I'm working here. I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah. Uh, think of uh, the Philippians. Uh, we may have mentioned this in an earlier podcast, but in, but in the book, book of Philippians, this is where Paul talks about that. We are citizens. Our citizenship is in heaven. And, and I can't tell you how many people I, I have heard pastors even talk about the idea that our that our citizenship is in heaven means we're just passing through. We shouldn't worry about, you know, this world at all. We're just, we're just passing through our home is in heaven. And so we're going to go home and that's, and there's a semi truth to that. However, in the context of the book of Philippians, Philippi is a Macedonian city that helped Caesar Augustus when he was Octavian and, um, and Mark Anthony to defeat Brutus and Cassius after they, you know, stabbed Caesar in the back. Yeah. And because of that, when Caesar Augustus became Caesar where Octavian became Caesar Augustus, um, he granted, uh, he made Philippi because of their help in that war, a Roman colony and granted citizenship to many of the people there. Mm. So as a Roman colony and as citizens of Rome, and they don't live anywhere near Rome, the idea behind that is not them going, Oh, someday I get to go to Rome. <laughs> right. Yeah. The idea of being a citizen living in Philippi, but being a citizen of Rome is that um, we're making Philippi like Rome. Yeah. Right. So in the, in the same way, um, what, what am I to do in this fallen, broken world that Christ has redeemed and has authority over and has given us the task to disciple. Yeah. Make it look more like, like heaven, like heaven. Right. Wow. Because I'm a citizen of heaven. Yeah. So, so my earthly dwelling, my earthly place should, should reflect more and more like heaven. Now the, the, the church has had that, that they've understand that stood that in yeah. the beginning, look at all the middle ages and how they, they <laughs> Christian um, kingdoms and things went. And I mean, that was the, the goal, right. And, and you had Christendom. Yeah. Meanwhile, we're too focused on, you know, the, the Lord's coming within the next 25 years, you know? So, yeah. And <laughs> who's going to be president as if that has something to do with the kingdom of God. No. What was a president going to foil God's plans or, or yeah. establish them? No. Right. Yeah. That's, that's all the church. That's us. That's, that's you and me just doing what, what the hope 
and the promises of God tell us, and we just live it out, right? That's that's the whole thing, is living it out, because hope is what gives, gives it to us. Now, Moltman, again, going back to the original thing, Moltman is the one that got me thinking more about these things, and it opened up my eyes to this idea of what hope, the power of hope. The problem is, is that uh, he, he was kind of this neo-Marxist and, and was trying to wed uh, polit- politics and the church and the kingdom of God was somehow socialism mm. or some sort of Marxist utopia. And it, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's not, that's not good. Um, so, yeah. So, so please keep listening to me, even though I just said, <laughs> again, uh, he's one of my favorites, not because I agreed with him, but because yeah. I did disagree with him and it caused me to think differently. But that, that whole idea of faith uh, causes me to believe uh, hope is that, that, that thing out there, um, that I'm, that I'm he- heading toward that I'm, my life is being lived toward that. My ordering of my world is going toward that hope uh, okay. of his promises, right. Yeah. Which, which includes eternal life with him. And I, and I love that, but there's this weird thing, um, Noah, is that th- the more we ignore, uh, heaven, and the, the more we ignore this idea of salvation and the goodness of being with the Lord, um, the less good we'll actually do on earth. Yeah. Like think of the Puritans, right? Probably yeah. the, the most flowering Christian civilization uh, that the world has seen or that North America's had. You know, that was before there was even such a thing as the United States of America. Yeah. Right. Right. And, um, and I say that just in case there is no more... United States of America at some point that that's not my hope, the United States of America. My hope is in, in Christ and his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to live towards that. And I sure hope that the United States of America repents and bows their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that, and that we live long in this land, but it's really about the kingdom of God, but the Puritans, right. They talked a lot about heaven. They, mm. they, you know, there, there was a longing for heaven. And the response to that longing is, Let's make here a lot like it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And the final thing is love. And, and okay. Cause without the love of God, right. If, if, if our doing these things was because we think that this hope is going to just simply bring justice and equity and you, you name it as some sort of value that we think is, is wonderful. Um, and it's, but it's not oriented towards the love of God. And the things that we're doing aren't for his sake because we love him, then it's going to be this dystopian. It's not a true faith and it's not a true hope. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's all, why would I want heaven? Why would I want earth like heaven? Because I love God. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's what I long for is Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. If I may just ask a question and I, I certainly hope this isn't, you know, uh, too deep of a rabbit hole, but as, as we think about making our Christian culture, let's just say here in this country, because yes. most of us are Americans. Let's be specific Green Bay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. So as we think about, you know, redesigning our Christian culture yeah. to look like the kingdom of heaven, you, you know, like how does that work? Right. Because we're all individuals yet. We're part of a a wider community, a nation state, even like, will God judge entire polities? 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm not God. That's right. up to him. Yeah, I mean, there there's a sense in which we're to disciple nations. Right. Right. But but the the idea is is that this community is being lived out through the church. So it is the. Oh, it, okay. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what happens is is that as the church and its influence grows, the culture begins to imitate the church or or wants to be part of the church. It, okay. It, right. So. So here's the, here's the hard part. And, and if you're a Baptist listening to me, I apologize in advance, but the, the, the desire, the desire of, I'm going to say that the Baptists have always been um, to make sure that we have a pure church, right? That there's, this is why we baptize only believers. Yeah. We want to make sure that they're in yeah. before we baptize them. Right. Yeah. Now, I get that desire and that's kind of, that's kind of cool as a Presbyterian, we baptize babies, but we want to monitor our con our flock yeah. and be able to fence the table, you know, to, to be able to guard yeah. those who aren't believers from really taking it. Right. So, so we, we have our issues, you know, in that, in that too. But the, the reminder here is this is when Jesus started talking about the kingdom of God, he said, it's like a net. And when you drag it in, there's good fish and bad fish in it. Well, who's, who's separating the good and the bad fish? Is it me? No, it's yeah. Christ, right? He says that it's like a field with uh, the, you know, that the seeds have been sowed and then Satan comes and sows the, the weed, the tares. Yeah. And what's, what's the, what's God say, right? You got to let them grow up together. Yeah. Less, right. Cause you don't want to pull up, you know, wheat with the tares. You just got to, and then, and then they're separated at the end. Yeah. Right. So so the, the issue here, I would say, as we're looking at Christian culture, is a full knowledge that it, it, it's, it's not going to be perfect until Christ returns and he does all that work, right? Yeah. Our, our, our goal is to, to do what, yeah. to follow him, to, to obey him, to order our world and our lives according to his word. Yeah. When sin happens to follow what he teaches us, right. To seek reconciliation to do. And then we have the, the great task to evangelize. That is to tell people who don't know Christ about him. Those yeah. who don't believe we want to share Christ with them and we want them to see, right. Yeah. Um, many will see and many will fear and put their trust in him. Right. Yeah. And, and, but what are they seeing right now? People crawled up in their bed waiting for the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. What they should see is a flourishing Christian culture. They should see brothers and sisters in Christ who are joyful, right. Who are, who are grateful, right. Remember gratitude. We talked about as that, that, that big thing that should characterize a, a Christian culture. Yeah. Um, that we're grateful that we're, we're, um, uh, we're repentant. Uh, we pray, we bow the knee to the Lord. Um, you know, we, we laugh, we, we, yeah. we sing, we, you know, that there's this joy and this, um, and this, uh, seriousness about our faith in Christ. Yeah. And, and this becomes an attractive culture. I, right. I, I can't tell you how many times I, I encounter people who just being in an intact family that loves each other and loves the Lord, how, how, how impressed people are with that because, and they long for it because the, the secular world out there is like, just, it's just dying. It's yeah, it's not, it's not good. Yeah. My, my daughter talked, talked to me about a girl at, uh, out in California that she met who's, uh, 
who's a, uh, I don't know if she met her or just has followed her or something, but she's a, she's an atheist who became pro-life. And I guess the story is something like she wanted to love all people mm. and it didn't make sense to her that she wouldn't love the unborn. Right. <laughs> so, so in her way, you know, she's going to love everybody, including the unborn. So she became pro-life and, and, and she's been at different rallies. She's been at pro-life rallies. She's been at pro-choice rallies. Mm. And, and the thing she, she reflected on was, I don't know how to deal with this because in one of the two rallies, I feel evil mm. and she doesn't have that category. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. In one, I feel people who really want to help each other. They want to love. Yeah. And the other one, they just, it feels evil. Yeah. And, and I, I think uh, I'm, I mentioned this in um, to many times to people, but one of my favorite stories of uh, playing football, I played football at Azusa Pacific university a long time ago is that we had an alumni football game and I sat at breakfast table, you know, this is several years after I had graduated and I'm sitting around this table and all the, all the men in the, on the table were guys I had played with and none of them were believers when we were playing football, but all of them were believers now and very involved in their church. And I was, it made me very curious. And I asked them like, how did, how did you come to Christ? And here's what they said. Every one of them, when they had left this Christian college, they missed Christ. Mm. They, they realized there was this real thing and they were now missing it yeah. and they longed for it and they knew it was Jesus. Right. Yeah. So, so these pagans living in this Christian culture of a Azusa Pacific university back in the 1980s um, and they refused, they didn't repent. They didn't do anything. Once they left, they, they knew they were missing Christ yeah. and they, and they repented and came into the, into the church. And it's the same, same way this atheist, I don't know who she is. My daughter could probably tell me, but I, I bet just in that experience, like it, it's going to drive her towards Christ. Yeah. And, and I think this is what, this is why it's so good for us to, to have our faith in Christ, our hope towards his promises a, a true love for God and, and in that for his sake, loving our neighbor, that this culture becomes so attractive, right? That, yeah. that it, that people are going to come to Christ because of their experience in that community and their, and that knowing that it's Christ. Yeah. And, and that's, what's, that's, what's missing right now in our world. Yeah. Well, you know, Mr. Young, this has been great. And just the last question that I'll, you know, sign off with here today is, you know, today was all about the theological virtues, it, it, you know, in quarter three strands, right? Like, is it primarily the role of the church to employ these theological virtues and promote them? Or is it also the family and also the school? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's primarily any of them. I think you know, in terms of, of, um, who's teaching them to my children, it's supposed to be me, but with the help of the church and the school. Yeah. Right. If I'm the church, I'm an elder at my church. If I'm not talking about the virtues, you know, that's, that's, and sanctification. Right. And, and, you know, the, the hard part is, is just, we, we don't have a lot of language 
unified language to talk about these things. That's why I'm bringing them up in our, in our yeah. podcast. Right. Yeah. And we have a school that's talking about it. Be great if our Christian community is talking about it. A lot of classical Christian schools are talking about the virtues. It has to be the three together. If it's going to, if it's going to become a cultural aspect, it's got to be all three. It's got to be in the family. It's got to be in the school and it's got to be in church, right? But together. And that's, what's going to impact the world.